Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. We'll be in the book of Revelation this morning. It's kind of easy to find because it's at the end of your Bible. If you have a Bible with you or a Bible um, under the, the pew there, or not the pew, the chair, uh, and take a look at Revelation 17. If you want to use the inside of your program for notes, we've got an outline there, and you can, you can jot down notes or maybe draw a picture uh, based on what we're preaching on today or may or may not be an appropriate picture, but uh, you can draw a picture there and share it with me if you like. Uh, we're talking about the Whore of Babylon or the great prostitute. Uh, and as always, as we go through this Revelation series, we don't skip over stuff, so it's, uh, it's interesting stuff to consider. So Revelation 17 today. Uh, and I promise you, I'm going to... I'm gonna, I, I think I've found in this section, and I know the Bible studies who studied this chapter this week have found uh, life connections to, to the prostitute of Babylon. Wow, what life connections could we have here? We'll, we'll see. Uh, first, uh, big idea here. We're, we are made as human beings by God to be in awe. We're made to be in awe of God, in awe of God, to be in worshipers of God, in a healthy relationship of the eternal God. So we're designed, I believe, to be in awe of that which is good, beautiful, and true. We're, we're designed for that. And, and yet we can, we can give our awe to things far less than God. We can give our awe to things that aren't good and beautiful and true. We can get awed by a, a, a drug, right? Or we can get and be in awe of our social media status or something, or our, a, a number in a bank account. Human beings can be in awe of all kinds of things, but we, we are made to be in awe of the author of beauty and goodness and truth. That's, that's who we are as human beings. And so we have a lot of awe problems or problems that come out of wrong types of awe when we're not in awe of the one who can handle our awe. And when we worship things that are far less beautiful or true as, as God, bad things happen to us, right? Uh, it can be difficult for our souls as individuals and, and our relationships and our nations and our communities when we put things as most important that aren't actually most important and aren't able to handle being most important, okay? Because only God is lasting and only God is selfless enough to handle being worshipped like that. So today we're going to be considering the false substitutes that we, that we get in awe of. Um, and these false substitutes, the thing is, and uh, why it should matter for you here today is, uh, well, it should matter because we want to worship God, but it should also matter for you the quality of your life. Nothing can give you the type of peace and joy and hope Nothing can give you that except God alone because that's who we're created to have that deep abiding relationship with. So this is what Revelation 17 is going to help us to consider today. Who or what are we in awe of? And have we sold or given our heart to something less than the God who loves us selflessly? Let's, let's pray. 
Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are truly our rock and our redeemer. You are our author and perfecter. You alone should we rightly fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. You alone are worthy of our worship. And Lord, we often find ourselves worshiping things far, far less than you in awe of things that aren't even good for us. So Lord, help, help me, help the people hearing your word today. Help us to be praying as we hear this for ourselves, for each others, that we would hear your word and that these images would somehow by your Holy Spirit make sense to us and challenge us and encourage us, Lord. That we would turn our, our awe to you. And Lord, I pray your people would pray for me and other preachers that we would rightly declare your word for, for your sake, for your kingdom, for your glory. And that your people would be built up And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we're going to read Revelation 17, and then we'll do a brief review of all of Revelation, just brief, and then we'll dive into this uh, prostitute of Babylon. Revelation 17, starting with verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Excuse me. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other is not yet come. And when he does come, He must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, and, excuse me, was and is not, it is an 
eight, but belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. I'll just pause and say, if you're overwhelmed by that or saying, I do not get that, that's okay. It's okay. I, ooh, lots of stuff there. Verse 13. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb. And the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing their power over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. This is the, the word of the Lord. And again, it is an intense and overwhelming imagery and it has all kinds of numbers and symbols to it. Uh, and we've been seeing that in the book of Revelation. So just a, a brief review of the book of Revelation. It's called an apocalypse. An apocalypse uh, is a word that in our English language has all kinds of connotations that in the original language or in the Greek it didn't have. Apocalypse means a revealing or revealing your eyes being open to something that you could not see on your own, a revealing of a mystery. And so what we're seeing in the book of Revelation is God is using angels and Jesus Christ himself to reveal to John, the apostle, some things that he could not have seen, some mysteries uh, that, that he cannot see on his own. There is a revealing. In order, in order that John could encourage the church with these visions that, yes, are intense, that he could encourage real churches. There were seven churches that we heard about early on in Revelation. But then in an ongoing way throughout the centuries, churches like ours encouraged them with visions and messages uh, from the divine. And so as Revelation goes, there are, there are seven large movements in Revelation, and you can think of them as kind of cyclical movements that build on each other but overlap, and so sometimes you're, you're hearing about things that you feel like you've heard about before, and that's because it's, it's cyclical, right? It's going, and, and, but it's building towards something. It's building towards an end and a new heaven and a new earth at the end, uh, the plan of God. But we're seeing these seven movements go and they interlock and overlap and wind together, but they are all approaching the, the final return of Jesus Christ. And as they do that, we're hearing over and over again about the Lamb of God. And we heard again about the Lamb of God, the, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, but we're also hearing about the dragon, right? The evil one and the beast. And here now the, the prostitute of Babylon. And so we've heard about Babylon before of earthly powers. And here Babylon is, is really symbolic for Rome. Rome even built on seven hills. And, and, the, and the Rome, one of the, the five major, major empires of the past. And there's all kinds of historical symbolism in here that um, you really you just need to go to the Bible study if you want all that because it would take another hour to tell you it all. But, but 
God is authoring this, this intense image to tell a story about the lamb versus the dragon. Or, or, or the savior Jesus versus evil and who is going to win. Or the city Babylon and all its worldliness against the holy new Jerusalem that is to come. So you, you could say that if you want to boil Revelation down and make it simpler, it's a story of the lamb versus the dragon. Or it's a story of the ways of Babylon, the ways of selfishness, the ways of the world, the ways of Babylon, that city and all it represents, versus the new Jerusalem. The Jerusalem means basically city of peace, city of shalom, the city of God's wholeness and goodness and justice. Which will win out in the end, Babylon or new Jerusalem? You could boil Revelation down to that. If, if all the imagery gets a bit confusing or overwhelming, it does. It, what we're seeing in Revelation is a clashing of worldviews in history that has happened, is happening, and will happen until God resolves it all, right? A clashing of worldviews is what we see here in Revelation 17. What is life really all about? Is it all about what Babylon says it's all about? What the kings of this world say it's all about? Of power and prestige and... and all of that, or is it about loving God and loving neighbor and giving selflessly and worshiping the author of good and life? What is it really all about? Who is in charge? Who is in charge now and of your future? Is it Babylon and the powers of the world that look so mighty like Rome back in the day with all their, their, their military and all their might? Who, they looked in charge, right? Compared to the ragtag group of Christians that John was a part of, he's forced to go live on a rocky island called Patmos, right? Who's really in charge of this world? The ragtag servants who serve prostitutes and tax collectors and pick up discarded babies and raise them and welcome women into their church. They don't look very powerful compared to Rome. But who was afraid? Rome was afraid of John and his ragtag group. That's why they threw John on an island. That's why they killed John's brother James. Something about this ragtag group of Christians that followed this crucified, but the story goes that these Christians say he rose again. This crucified but risen again leader, Jesus, something about them can't be stopped. And so we've got to stop them, Babylon said, Rome said. We gotta kill them, we gotta make laws against them. And so God gave this vision in this time, he gave this revelation in this time to say, yeah, church, there's gonna be powers like that that will try to stop you from being like Jesus and being his people in the world. They will try to stop the lamb, the Babylons, the people that, that they sell themselves to the Babylon, they sell themselves, like people sell themselves to prostitutes. That, that looks so alluring they're not going to win. So Revelation is a revealing. Revelation is a revealing of God's plan of the, uh, for the church to the end of time when Christ returns. And it also reveals the selfishness of the empires of the world now. That, that what we are as human beings when we ignore and deny God and even hate God and God's ways. And we have seen, therefore, 
most recently we've seen it in a couple chapters, God himself pouring out wrath or through his angels pouring out wrath upon the consequences of, of the separation that comes from, from that hatred or denying God or living opposite of God's ways. There's a, a wrath that pours out that, that makes creation itself seem like it's falling apart. Because God in heaven is longing for people mercifully to experience forgiveness and relationship, but God is also, in, in God's wisdom, allowing people to make their own decisions to go their own way, and yes, to have their own consequences, and if they won't take Jesus Christ and how he has loved them and bore the wrath that, that they deserve, they won't take that gift. They will feel their own consequences. So in, in this chapter now, after we've seen the pouring out of the seven bowls of wrath, uh, in this chapter and next week, we're going to see that, that the, the Babylon of this world, the power of this world is going to fall apart. It seems so good on the surface, so alluring, so attractive, so powerful, but it's going to fall apart. So today, we consider the great prostitute of Babylon. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. And, and just to be clear, this is not describing one human prostitute that lived in you know, ancient Iraq or ancient I- or Iran. This is, this is a symbolic, um, right? Symbolic of, of the powers of this world that people sell themselves to or they buy into this idea that, that Babylon can satisfy, meaning the powers of this world can satisfy. That if I have a bigger home, that will satisfy my my soul. If I have a faster car, that will satisfy my soul, uh, right? If I, you know, have a lady on the side, some men think in marriage, my wife can't satisfy, so if I go outside that, that that's what I need, right? If I have power and control of my family, that will satisfy me. All these things that we think that humans can think can satisfy the soul, they don't, right? So this, but the, 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 the prostitute of Babylon also symbolizes how this kind of comes together as, as we as human beings, where we think governments and economies and technologies that aren't necessarily bad. I mean, God uses governments and he uses economies, he uses technologies. But when we think, when we in a human-centered way think that these are the answers, instead of gifts from God that can be used for good, when we as human beings think these are the power we need, Right? These are the answers. We turn government or technology or whatever it is, we turn it into a prostitute, a Babylon, a substitute. Instead of being in deep, intimate connection with God, we're choosing to give our souls to something. We're prostituting with something else that doesn't deserve our, our, our deepest allegiance. And some people in our country give their deepest allegiance to government. You should pray for government. But you should not give your deepest allegiance to government. It, it cannot handle your soul. And people in 2024 are going to do that again. Pray and be involved and care, yes. But one of the things that was so dangerous about that ragtag group of Christians is they didn't give their deepest allegiance to Rome. And it just messed with all the other Roman citizens. They thought, you guys are anti, what we would say, anti-patriotic. You won't say Caesar is Lord. 
you must be against Rome. No, in our own scriptures it said pray for the leaders and do good. But they, that's one of the reasons they got persecuted was they were seen as being seditious because they would say Jesus Christ alone is Lord. But they knew the truth. You can only give your allegiance to the one that truly deserves your allegiance. You cannot give your allegiance to anything less. So let's stop picking on government because some people give their allegiance to entertainment. It's most important. That's most important. Some people give their allegiance to money. Some people give their allegiance to, to the internet. And you can say, oh, that stuff's silly. No, no, no. But what do you behold? What do you spend your time thinking about the most? What do you wake up thinking about? What do you go to bed thinking about? What do, you, what do you look at most with your eyes? The answer to those things will tell you a lot about who your God is. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is as well. Do you spend a lot of time on your earthly agendas? What? Who are you beholding? What are you looking at the most? Do you wake up and want to talk to the Lord and, and, and want to find ways to love God and love others? Wonderful means you're looking to the Lord and you're, you're giving allegiance to the Lord, but do you wake up caring about the unholy trinity, right? Me, myself, and I? And you just think of what's going to serve you today? Then you worship self. And in some way, you've bought into the prostitute. You've sold yourself. You've purchased something that isn't good for your soul. John in his humility, if this is old man John the Apostle, and I like to think that it is. Others think maybe it's a different John, but whatever. This, is, this old, experienced Christian, I think the Apostle John. And what does he humbly share here? He says, I marveled greatly. One of the reasons I love the, the Christian scriptures is they are so honest. I marveled greatly. John, you're admitting that to us? John is admitting that he is looking at the horror of Babylon in this vision and is saying, I was amazed, marveled. Wow, so beautiful. Right? We marvel. Wow. We can appreciate cars or artwork, whatever. We can you know, marvel at things, but if we marvel in a way like John was here, starting to say, yeah, that's it. That's what I need. He said, I marveled greatly. It's, an, it's a confession that John, as he was experiencing this vision, it's a confession he believed we needed to hear. He could have kept us out of the story, but the Holy Spirit had him keep it in the story. Because here is John looking at something that when it is described to me, this doesn't seem alluring on paper, right? Uh, this, this lady, sort of, with all kinds of writing on her face. I'm not into facial tattoos. I uh, had to stop Tina from getting several of them, right? Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, they, 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 you know, and writing on a beast, and there's horns and all this. This doesn't look attractive to me. And it, that's the point here is that there are these things that we don't realize aren't actually attractive and yet we're are actually good and we're actually marveling them, right? 
We become addicted to it. Social media companies know we're addicted to a dopamine reaction when we click the like button and w- or when we see that somebody's clicked the like button for us. They know that. They know that human beings have a hard time with what's called infinite scroll on social media. Infinite scroll is when the page never ends. Do you know that the companies did the research and they found out that that is really unhealthy for people and then they spend way more time on the the site than they want to. And and some of their own people came early on after Infinite Scroll was amended and said, maybe we should give people the option to opt out of Infinite Scroll so they don't see that. And those people got fired. Because they want the eyes to stay on, to pay for ads, but meantime, in the meantime, that person is in awe of something that, you know, if we look just... uh, on paper like, we can see it's not good, it's not pretty. It's not healthy, it's not making me a better human being, it's not fulfilling me more, it's not making me love my neighbor better, it's not actually helping me solve problems in the United States. It's, but people keep doing it, right? You can say the same thing about some of the forms of entertainment we watch. Not actually good for us, but we marvel at it. We give ourselves to something less than our souls are made for that's unhealthy. Why do you marvel? That's what the angel says back. Why do you marvel? Thankfully, John has this angel there that's kind of his guide to this vision. Like, John, why are you marveling? Important question. Maybe a question for us. Why do you marvel at what you marvel? Well, first off, you were created to marvel at things, to be amazed at the Grand Canyon or to be amazed at a beautiful piece of artwork or to be amazed by a beautiful voice, all these good blessings that come down from God because ultimately you were to be amazed and marvel at the source of all that is good. God, God is why you marvel. But then if we look down in our lives and say, but why am I marveling at other things? That maybe I shouldn't marvel at. Why do you marvel? This is a good question for you to put into your daily life. When you find yourself keeping your eyes on something uh, that's not actually good for you, right? The angel asked John, why do you marvel? And in a way is asking us to, why do we marvel? Why do we marvel at something we're selling our soul to that's not good for us? So after they, they have this uh, interaction, we, see, we hear about the, uh, the waters that the, the prostitute is seated on this image in verse 15. And verse 15 says, And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are the peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Remember I said in the review that Revelation is really a story of a battle between evil and good. And and God has said many times in Revelation that he's trying to win people over to his side through his mercy, through the Lamb, from every language, tribe, nation. He's trying to bring them into his eternal kingdom, but the other side is trying to do that too. And here we see a picture of where the prostitute is seated. She's sitting on waters. Now, the, here's some code language in the Bible. Waters 
generally represent chaos. Now, still waters can also represent peace, yes? And, and water, flowing water from a spring or a river, we're going to see in the end of Revelation, can represent life. But here, this dark water that the angel is seated on is the chaos type of water. So the image here is supposed to be a sad one. The, the prostitute is seated on all the people who have bought into the, the, lesser, the lesser things, the things that don't satisfy your soul, that you aren't made to marvel at. They have been, I guess you could say, there's plenty of people in this world drowning in chaos and to make sense of their chaotic lives and the chaos that is the world at times, they find something that will satisfy them just enough. But what's actually happening is they're getting, they're getting chaos into their spiritual lungs, I guess you could say. They're drowning. And they're, they're underneath the prostitute. That's the image here. They're taking in something that they think satisfies their soul. But instead of being the part of the author of creation, they're becoming part of the, the chaos, the opposite of God. That's the picture we're supposed to get. That water image is supposed to be very, very sad in verse 15. But then we see that, that something happens within the evil realm. We see the beast and the prostitute who are supposed to be on the same team. We see that they, in verses 16 and 18, end up not getting along, to put it mildly, right? Um, and 10 horns that you saw, verse 16, the, and the 10 horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into the hearts, to put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> that means evil is divided against itself. Selfishness and evil, uh, it, it can't, it doesn't, doesn't work well even with each other. They, they can't be good teammates. We see here that God is over it all and he's allowed, or it says here even in verse 17, he's put into their hearts this, so that, you know, as Jesus said in the Gospels, a, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And, and, and so evil in this world will undo itself by attacking itself. We see this in political regimes all the time that, that are built on selfishness. Eventually, they fall apart. We've seen this in the history of Rome itself, et tu, brute, right? I mean, eventually, those who were your allies, if if it isn't all based on a good foundation, they're going to come home and, and kill you. This has happened throughout history. And so if you're part of a movement that isn't based on goodness and truth and, and, and uses deception and lies and selfishness, hey, I'm just telling you, the clock is ticking. That kind of movement will eventually eat itself alive, right? And will face its own wrath in a sense. 
they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. That's a terrible image. But what it's saying is Rome will, Rome will fall. And Rome did fall exactly like that. It was, it was about 300 years later, but Rome fell just like that. All, it had infighting, and it couldn't, it couldn't keep all the, the leaders happy. And then it started burning, or, or, or you know, some of the people burned its own cities, or its enemies burned their cities too. I mean, burned, libraries were burned. Babylon experienced this and will again. So... It's time for a DTR. I learned the term DTR from Mark Sawyer many years ago when he worked with youth. He'd say, I think he'd tell youth, you need to have a DTR with your girlfriend or boyfriend, whatever it may. Define a relationship. It's time for a define a relationship talk. And, and, and I see here in the scripture saying, God saying, it's time for a DTR. Who has your all? Are you in a relationship that's unhealthy? Obviously, if you're in a relationship with a prostitute, God doesn't want that. In a spiritual way, same thing. If you are giving yourself your awe to something less than God, that's not a good relationship. So uh, asking God, am I in awe of something that I should not be? Am I giving too much of my emotion, too much of myself to something less than you, God? Jesus was really tough about this. He said you can't even put your family before God. If you want to do your family right, You've got to love God first, and then God will give you the right love for your family. And if you put your family on a pedestal, you make your family an idol, and they have your awe, and they can't do anything wrong, and you always solve their problems, you need to have a DTR and say, my family cannot handle my awe, and I need to put God first, and that means following God's ways for how I love them. And sometimes that means tough love, right? It means all kinds of things. So, what has your awe? Does God have your heart? Does God have your awe? What, put it this way, what draws your attention in the morning most? Maybe first it's you wake up and you have a physical need. I get that. Pain or restroom, whatever. Okay? But what draws your attention most? Who is your leader in the morning? And who do you give yourself to at night? Do you give yourself to God or do you give yourself to anxiety? Those things can tell you about who you're in awe of. Who do you put your hope in? Hopefully not a worldly leader. Hopefully not technology. But many people in this world do put their hope in technology or a worldly leader. Christians were willing to die for the lamb, Jesus Christ, because they put their hope in him. And, and human beings are willing to die for that which they put their hope in. But you should only be willing to die for that which is really true, good, and beautiful. So these questions are important. What allures you? What attracts you in this world? Be careful. Like John, we need to Say, am I marveling at something I should not marvel at? I, 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 I got to admit there's some things that lure me in or that my eyes look upon that are not good for me. And so like John, we need to be humble and admit that. I did marvel greatly or I found myself marveling greatly or spending too much time on something that is not good for me. 
like John, there will be things that draw our hearts away from God. But for the sake of our relationship with God, we must ask, like the angel asked, why do we marvel? Are we temporarily, temporarily wanting the, the sweet water? The scriptures in Proverbs say, stolen water is sweet, but death soon follows. Getting away with a sin here and there can feel sweet, but it's death for the soul. Are we seeking fleeting pleasures of this world, or are we seeking the lasting, true, deep pleasure of having real, restored relationship with Christ? So what temptations, what selfish thinking, what behavior grabs you that, that is of Babylon? Because folks, Babylon isn't, this is, Babylon's not just out there, a non-Christian thing. It's, it's, Babylon is wanting to reach its gnarly, ugly, somewhat alluring tentacles into the church itself. <laughs> We're on again. Okay. So, Actually, I'm on my last line, so maybe you guys knew that. Um, let's just pray. Well, God, open our eyes. Um, so easy for any of us to be like John and looking at the things of this world and becoming prone to wander. Lord, we were created to be at home with you, created to walk with you, to love you and to love others. And it's so simple, God. Um, and yet we make it so complex by falling in love with things that don't deserve our love. I simply pray that you would help us to take this imagery that we heard today and that your Holy Spirit would talk to each person and help us to examine ourselves, to look into our hearts, to say, why are we marveling at whatever we're marveling at? May your Spirit help us to make changes and live to honor you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some... Next steps, you could choose to do the breath prayer this week of open my eyes, Lord, I want to see Jesus. You want to marvel, marvel at Jesus, in Jesus. So you could pray that breath prayer when you wake up each day. And another next step is um, this idea that we become like that which we behold. That's I've stolen that sentence from another preacher, but... What you behold is what you become, kind of like you are what you eat, but spiritually what you behold, you will become like. So do you need to get real about what you're beholding? Uh, that might be a step for someone to here to take. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube 
or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at PalouseChurch.org uh, to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day.